tooth extraction. Uh oh. Ah, I got you. All right. I'm going to talk about something. Um, Christian liberty. Today it's going to be pretty interesting because um, a lot of what Andy was talking about this morning it starts out in that same, same flavor. But before we get started, let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Uh, thank you for the lessons uh, we have and uh, how things are put together here as we learn to, to serve one another today. Um, and so, Father, we just pray that uh, you would speak to our hearts and our lives today. Help us to understand some things. Teach us things today, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, let's turn to Galatians 5, 1 through 13. If you got your Bibles there. Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 13. Can I have a volunteer reader? And not necessarily a reader. John will. Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 13. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen for grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole line. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you would be none otherwise minded. But he that trouble you, he that troubleth you, shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense the cross ceased. Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. During the American Revolution, a group of soldiers was repairing the defense, or the defense is, with no help from their screaming leader. A nearby rider in civilian clothes asked the officer why he would not help. The officer shot back, Sir, I am a corporal. 
The stranger apologized, dismounted, and proceeded to help the exhausted soldiers. Having done the job, he returned to the corporal and said, Mr. Corporal, the next time you have to do a job like this and do not have enough men to do it, go to your commander-in-chief and I will come and help you again. The stranger was none other than George Washington. Washington understood something too many of us miss. Freedom is not our license to serve self. It is our opportunity to serve others. Christian freedom is a wonderful gift of God's grace. We are saved by faith in Christ and are no longer enslaved to sin and its guilt. Many Christians, however, understand this gift of freedom. Like an eager 16-year-old with a new driver's license, they forget that Christian liberty comes with responsibility. Today we're going to look at this liberty in Christ is how, and how Satan attacks it and how we ought to use it. First of all, we have the what of liberty. No? Stand. Wow, I had to go to the last letter on you guys. The stand of liberty. What does liberty all stand on? In our text, Paul speaks to the believers in Galatia who had come to the knowledge of Christ but were drawn away by false teaching of the Judaizers. These Judaizers taught that Christ was not enough for salvation and that believers still had to keep the Jewish law to please God and keep their salvation. And in the text there, when you look at when they're talking about circumcision, it sounds to me as if they were having people circumcised again because this is part of the law that we're mixing this together. Much of Paul's focus in the book of Galatians was on teaching the Galatian believers that they were not to seek righteousness through the Old Testament law. Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Galatians 3.24-25, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The Old Testament law was not given as a means of salvation. Rather, it was meant to serve as a schoolmaster to point us to our need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. None of us are able to keep all the Ten Commandments. <laughs> not even four today. <laughs> but the commandments reveal to us our sin, and that is how they serve as a schoolmaster. When we trust Christ as our Savior, our salvation is not dependent on our goodness at all, but only on His shed blood. We are now truly free in Christ. In Galatians 5.1, Paul urges the believers, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. To stand fast is to persist and to persevere. Paul urges the Galatians to remain firmly rooted in their position in Christ. What exactly does it mean to be in Christ? Our position in Christ. <laughs> uh. 
Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Notice in verse 1 that we are called to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty. The word liberty means freedom from bondage and slavery. This firm stand is the liberty we believers have received by grace through faith in Christ. When we receive Christ by faith, we have a new standing in Him. We are no longer under the yoke of the law, but have been set at liberty. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in His sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our new standing in liberty frees us from the guilt and penalty of sin. What a wonderful thing that is. Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Romans 8, 1 and 2 There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In Galatians 5.1, Paul reminds the believer, believers of their new standing of liberty in Christ and urges them not to be entangled by the yoke of bondage. To be entangled is to be held or ensnared. And bondage means slavery, the condition of a slave or servant. Paul was exhorting them not to be pulled back into the bondage by the law of Judaizers. The Judaizers taught that in addition to believing in Christ, they had to keep the law to please God. Warren Wearsby said, When the believers in Galatia trusted Christ, they lost the yoke of servitude to sin and put on the yoke of Christ. The yoke of works is hard and the burdens heavy. Christ's yoke is easy and His burden is light. The yoke of Christ frees us to fulfill His will while the yoke of the law enslaves us. Because our position in Christ, we are free of the judgment of the law. So we have the position in Christ, and we have a position in grace. Got it. A position in grace. Galatians 5, 2 through 4. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Verse 2 through 4 tells us that a believer not only has a position in Christ, but also a position in grace. This position does not require any works on the believer's part. Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You know, religion requires that you work to have the acceptance of God or earn a place in heaven. Paul, however, instructs the believers that salvation is only by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. If you ever notice, a lot of people just want to refer to church as, 
uh, as salvation and 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 um, in their religion and their practices. Remember, the law's demands cannot be fulfilled by humans. If a man were truly to truly please God by keeping the law, he would have to keep the entire law. No one, however, is capable of keeping the entire law. James 2.10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For this reason, the law is incapable of saving man. Think about the phrase, fallen from grace, in Galatians 5.4. To fall from grace is to make grace of no effect. Do you realize the deep significance of that phrase? If we are relying on our works to be justified, we are denying the power of God's grace in saving us. Paul was not saying to the Galatian Christians, as is sometimes taught from this verse, that they had fallen from grace and that they had lost their salvation. The Bible clearly teaches that it is impossible. Paul is saying that they fell away from their trust in grace because they were now trusting in the law. He is emphasizing that if they are justified by the law, then grace is of no effect. Grace is undeserved favor. If God saves us by His grace, our salvation is not something we can earn, but is a free gift. Once we are standing in the position of grace, we can never truly fall from grace in the sense of losing our salvation. In returning to the law, however, it is possible for us to lose the effectiveness of our salvation. John 10, 28-29, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. What Paul was essentially saying about Christ and the law is this. There is no hybrid salvation. It is either grace or works. All of Christ or all of the law. So we have the position in Christ, the position in grace, and we have a position of uh-oh, 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 I had to spell it out completely. Hope. Galatians 5, 5 through 6, for through the Spirit we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. When we are saved, we also have hope for the fulfillment of Christ's work in us. The word wait in verse 5 means to expect fully, to eagerly and patiently anticipate. As believers, we eagerly anticipate the day when God will complete His plan for us by making us perfectly holy. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The believer has the confidence that God has made him completely righteous in Christ and more like Jesus. What a joy and blessedness it is to know and possess the security of our salvation. So we have the stand of liberty. Now we have... The what of liberty starts with an S. Huh? Uh-uh. Nope. 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 
Subversion. The subversion of liberty. (laughs) When there's a powerful truth concern, Satan will also devise ways to undermine it, to subvert, subversion. He does not want believers to rest secure in their position in Christ, His grace and the hope of His fulfillment in them. Satan attacks the truth of our liberty in Christ using two ways. And let's put those through here. Legalism. No. Licentiousness. License. Uh, did I hear spell that already? No. Yeah. L I C E N S E. They have poor speller, poor speller. All right, license and legalism. Through legalism, Galatians 5, 7 through 8, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. The truth mentioned in verse 7 refers to the simplicity of our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. Satan, however, wants us to deter us from enjoying our liberty in Christ and bring us back into bondage. In our text, Paul was dealing with the problem of legalism caused by the Judaizers in the Galatian church. The Judaizers were trying to add works to faith. What do we mean by legalism? Consider the following definitions. Legalism is adding self-effort to faith in Christ for salvation. Number two, legalism is also emphasizing rules more than a relationship with Christ. One may keep the rules, yet be totally carnal in the heart. Some people look and live right as they climb the ladder of legalism, taking pride, here's the pride again, in their self-righteousness and finding fault in everyone else. We talked about that today as well. An outward legalistic walk does not reflect a heart that is right before God. The danger of legalistic living is that we play the part on the outside but do not truly love the Lord with all our heart. I believe this was uh, the problem with the first church recorded in Revelation chapter 2. They lost their first love. They, they, I think they just got very legalistic about things and they did a lot of things right and they hammered out things and... <clears throat> But it seemed to God that they lost the most important thing. They lost being in love with Christ. Doing works or applying biblical guidelines in one's life is not legalism, but Christian living. God wants us to maintain or be involved in good works. Legalism is emphasizing our works and glorifying in them over the person we worship. And that happens. That's quite often. I'm afraid in some point, our uh, Baptist, independent Baptist church, I think they got very proud. This is just, when I look at the mighty things that God did when he swept back in, 
like if you look in the late 60s, 70s, and early 80s, when you find these tremendous things, you start asking yourself, when did that, when did that, was that happening? It was back in that day. And I think the Baptist churches started to, to feel like they have a hold on God because they happened to be having meetings because God was just working. And then they thought meetings will bring God in. <laughs> and they have a lot of meaningless meetings today because that's the way you do it. It's a, like a legalistic uh, approach. And is God in it? Now, I'll tell you, we need God to, to show up, but we're not going to pull God in by our legalistic works. It's believing that our good works help us earn our standing with God, and that is a subversive pull away from the simplicity of the gospel. Titus 3.8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Legalism has two negative effects on the Christian's walk with Christ. First, it hinders his spiritual walk. In verse 7, Paul asked the Galatians, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you? To hinder is to change the course of a ship, or to cut in on. Secondly, legalism hurts the Christian's spiritual walk. In verse a, Paul tells the Christian, tells the Christians at Galatia, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. The persuasion of adding works to faith is not of Christ. Our Christian life is not simply about following a list of rules which will take our focus off Christ and hurt our walk with him. Instead, we should stand steadfastly in our liberty in Christ. In the first century, the persuasion was to gain your salvation through works. In today's context, it is to gain your reputation or have a self-righteous attitude. So we have through legalism and through license. The opposite of legalism is license or the abuse of liberty. Again, it kind of comes like this pride thing. You know, there's this, this side of it and it becomes bad or that side of it. It becomes bad. This is another way Satan uses to subvert our liberty in Christ. A Christian who abuses his liberty in Christ thinks he is free to return to his sinful ways. Sadly, many modern Christian authors adopt this view and take the doctrine of grace to the extreme by doing as they please. In verse 13 of our text, Paul tells the Galatians that they have been called unto liberty only Use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. The word occasion means a starting point, an opportunity, a base of operations. Paul tells the Galatians not to let freedom become a launching point for their flesh to advance its activities. And, and that's what is amazing to me. I, I think most of those people have, are just truly not saved. I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense. Romans 6, 1 through 2, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There is actually probably people who preach that. God forbid, it says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He saying it doesn't make sense. Some Christians want to enjoy their freedom by choosing to love Christ without regard for His commandments. While obeying God's commands do not earn our salvation, they are still important and prove our love for the Lord. 
John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. We are not to allow ourselves to be pulled into a lifestyle of license. When we are saved, we are alive in Christ and dead to sin. The lifestyle of license is not a biblical lifestyle, but a leaning to the flesh. It stems from the sin nature and self-effort of man. Romans 8, 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Every saved person still has a fleshly nature and is susceptible to the temptations of the flesh, but he is no longer under its power. Galatians 5, 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Our Christian liberty is not a license to live in sin. What then should we do with our liberty in Christ? So we have the stand of liberty, the subversion of liberty, and this one does start with an S. You got it. All right. And this is really what this lesson is boiling down to. This is what we do. We serve with liberty. Because we are in Christ, we are freed from legalism or license. As Christians, the freedom we enjoy in Christ is not an opportunity for sin or self. It is an opportunity to serve. And there's a service of Oh, come on. Love. All right. A service of love. Galatians 5.13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. What sweet words these are. But by love, serve one another. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The service that we render must be driven by our love for the Lord. The security of Christ's love for us is what motivates our love for Him. Christ's sacrificial death for us should spur us to consider what we can do for Him instead of ourselves. 1 John 4.19, we love Him because He first loved us. The origin of what you do is more important than what you actually do. What may it motivates your actions? We serve because we are motivated by God's love, not out of the fear of violating a law. Mark 12, 30 through 31. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. When we love the Lord, we will love other people and desire to serve them. It's a service of love and it's also a service of or to others. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Think about that. This is what Jesus came for. How can we ever be above him? We can't. And it says to give his life a ransom for many. 
the Christian life was designed to be a serving one. George Grant said, for centuries, Christians have been the primary agents of charity and compassion in Western culture. From the first century forward to the founding of the American colonies, Christians took the lead in caring for the hungry, the dispossessed, and the afflicted. This was, in fact, the hallmark of authentic Christianity. When Christians truly understand their freedom in Christ and use it to serve others, they can bring the people in their community to the Lord and help them. Help them to find freedom in Christ also. But think about the impact we can make for the cause of Christ when we use our freedom for its rightful purpose. What are some of the ways we can serve others? This book gives us five different ways. One is to restore. God calls mature believers to help restore repentant Christians to the body of Christ. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. We kind of talked about meekness. Meekness is, is humility. Moses was known for being meek. I think of how he handled things. Considering, it says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Remember where you were. You know where people were. You know what they struggled with. And that gives you the spirit of meekness. Um, I'll just say this in this tight group here. All right, let's move on to number two. We bear burdens. We are to bear one another's burdens. In context, this speaks primarily of the burdens of restoration or even temptation. This involves us praying for and encouraging each other and spiritual growth and victory. Galatians 6.2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then there's pray. Prayer is one of the most significant ways we can serve one another. It is something every Christian can participate in, and it is something every Christian needs. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then to give, what demonstrates, what demonstration of Christian love is there when our words are not backed up by our deeds? We ought to walk our talk if we're going to genuinely serve others. James 2, 15 through 16. And listen to who this is addressed to. It says, if a brother or sister, you know, it's talking about somebody in the family, and particularly spiritual family of God, be naked and destitute of daily food. And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Charles Schultz drew a Peanuts comic strip based on James 2, 15-16. Charlie Brown and Linus are all bundled up in their house while Snoopy is out in the cold shivering in front of his empty dog dish. Charlie and Linus are having a discussion of how sad it is that Snoopy is hungry and cold. He's cold and hungry. We ought to do something about it. They walk outside and say, Be of good cheer, Snoopy. And Snoopy just looks at them as if something is missing. And then the fifth thing is to visit. Going to people's homes to pray with and encourage them is a way to show care. 
pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So the conclusion, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we enjoy a new position of liberty in Christ. We are freed from the guilt and penalty of sin. Our salvation is solely by grace through faith, needing neither our works nor the keeping of the law. Satan, however, wants to keep us in bondage to sin and attacks our liberty through legalism and license. A true understanding of freedom we have in Christ will lead us to serve others because of God's love for us. When we use our freedom to serve others, we exercise our liberty in Christ as God intended. Three kinds of Christians exist in our world today. The first is the Pharisaical Christian who self-righteously declares, I do more than you, so I'm better. The second kind is narcissistic or sensual Christian who uses his freedom as a license to live however he pleases. Then there's the third kind of Christian who sees his freedom in Christ as an opportunity to serve. So Christian liberty. I want us to think a little bit. I want to give you some questions and maybe you have some different examples to just to kind of wrap your mind around this. Let me ask you a few questions about Adam and Eve when they were in the garden or at least when Adam was there. What was what was the jobs that he had? Naming the animals, taking care of the garden. Was that work? It was work. Okay. Did God tell him how to do it? Not that we see in Bibles. Um, but we do know, like when he named the animals, because probably he didn't is what I would think because he told, he said whatever he named them, he named them. He had liberty. When the law came, God had to tell you everything you have to do. Let me ask you a difference. What's the difference between, like we play sports, right? Um, I know how to liken this. I always think through the men's eyes. I have to really think sometimes through the ladies' eyes, but um, they'll understand. But we go out and play a sport. Maybe tomorrow, if it doesn't rain, we'll play softball. And it'll probably be a 100 degrees index and like super muggy and miserable, but we want to do it. And we go out there and we run our little hearts around and bat that ball around and, <laughs> and get frustrated and get happy and up and down, you know. Much more than we do at work. But one we call work and one we call play. What's the difference? What's the difference between work and play? I remember Gerald Bricker telling me, he said, you know, he's got kind of on the other end of sports. He said, yeah, I don't know the difference. We could go out, at, out in the corn and you and your son could go out there and pick the bugs off the corn, you know, and, and that can be fellowship, you know. What's, you know. what's the difference between work and play? Yeah, you get paid for what? <laughs> or you're like necessitated to do it because you want them to do it. Attitude. Time to get it. Well, some of it's some of it can be attitude. Your hearts. You're getting paid. You have to do it. You're working under the man. You are told what to do. That's kind of how what the law 
felt like. We go to work. <clears throat> we understand that. And we have to do that in order to provide. And we feel that as men, we feel that, uh, that pressure. It's like trying to serve in, in the law. One of the things I've told you, I think the most, and, and you, if you haven't got there yet, something I enjoy, like there's been a couple times as I helped people do things and some major things, like put in a pool or I did some concrete work, helped them with the tools. But you know, when it's not my project, and I'll do as good a job or better for somebody else, somehow there's like, that's a lot easier. Somehow that's more fulfilling than doing it for yourself because all the weight's on you. See, the weight's on them, and you're just helping them relieve weight. You, you see, serving God is kind of like that. There's the law, I have to, I have to, or, you know, it's the difference between I have to do something or I get to do something. So some of it's like attitude, how we look at our work. What's the difference in uh, somebody who... Uh, is working under the man and being driven all over to, to what they want you to do and somebody who has their own business who works twice as long, twice as hard, but he's happier. It's his choice. He has liberty. But that's that, is that liberty to not work and draw unemployment? You know, that's kind of like what this is talking about. No, it's I can do even more and I can be more even involved in, into this. So you see, I don't know, does anybody have any other examples that come to their mind of li what true Christian liberty is? Mm -hmm. I was thinking of, um, and I've been struggling with this because I tend to be the egoistic person, I know it. Um, but the, the halls, Jim and Gina Hall, like there's somebody that like love the Lord and like she's talking about getting to spend time with God um, in the morning. She just loved her. She's like, and all of a sudden it's time for the kids to get on the bus. I have to go get them on the bus and I have to leave. Like, I'm like, oh God, you know, like the relationship, like there's a relationship and she has liberty and you see it fruit in her life. They love having they have people over all the time for Bible studies and whatever they can do for the Lord and it's not it's not a burden to do with joy. Like it's just joy to serve the Lord. Gina particularly, like, I just look at her and I'm like, and now Jen's passed, like, she's doing Bible studies with people and she's having opening her home for married couples. They're doing, like, a family thing, but, like, she, her relationship with God, like, whatever she can do, she's just serving God with every bit of her life. I'm just like, that's what, that's what I want it's just, it's really neat. So, she doesn't even look close to me, and the Lord just uses her because she loves God. He can, can use that vessel. She just, let me do it, Lord. <laughs> That's kind of the essence of David Gibbs' message. Joseph. Yes, Pat? Just, well, I think liberty kind of gets along with privilege. Does, there's always responsibilities that the privilege of, whether it comes to your children or just having children or going to a nursing home or taking a meal to someone that has a baby. Those are all privileges to serve the Lord and privileges to love somebody else. 
That's one of the things that close to home, I've always seen that is mom gets life from that because it's serving. It has its difficulties, no doubt. Sometimes she's quitting every other week because <laughs> <laughs> it's people. But her heart just ends up falling back and for the people. And, and that's where, where God wants us. So we serve just out of that joy and love for him. That's good. Yes, Abby. Kind of a picture I was thinking of, or like a almost like a feeling um, of liberty. This is kind of an odd one, but like say when I go somewhere or I do something, and mom doesn't like say I need to be home by a certain time, or like I know nobody's gonna be upset at me, whatever I'm doing. Like uh, say I'm in the home, like oh okay, I'm gonna stop my hands and I'm gonna do this. Like the liberty that you know you're not, nobody's like. I'm not going to get in trouble if I'm home late, or like I don't have like a certain time, but just a day you have where you can just say you're going to the grocery store. Oh, that person needs their groceries loaded, or like you just have that freedom and almost like a confidence to make good choices or to make choices in general. Uh, because you don't have like it's like almost like taking the pressure off. Mm -hmm. You don't have that, and it's such a nice feeling sometimes. Like when you know everybody close to you. You're on the same page, you're good, and just don't have it fresh. Um, I know it's like with Tim, he's, he's building a house and stuff, and like there's things that are like pressure he has to do, he's what to get to. Like there was a stick that was stuck in the ground on the roots, you know, but I had the tractor out, and I was thought about it before, I just forgot to do it. And I had the tractor out anyway, so I just took that blade and pulled it out and stuck it over there and he's like and he didn't have to do that. I was just thinking about doing that you know for him it was a burden of something I gotta do for me it was like I can do this for him you know and you know he's real thankful for it and you know but it's that's like my pleasure you know I mean it's it's just a wonderful thing uh, to serve and to help people um, anybody else Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this message today. It's in reference to the church, one another, and how we can serve each other, different ways we can serve. Uh, we're family. We care one for another. And uh, so, Father, thank, thank you for helping us understand liberty a little more. And what that liberty is for is to serve each other. And so, will God help us to... Uh, understand these things even deeper and better that there will be times when we need to explain this to a Christian who is maybe younger trying to understand these things and Lord we haven't built in our heart and uh, can minister to others that way so Father thank you once again for we ask it in Jesus name Amen